ask you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Job in the Old Testament. As uh, Bill did a moment ago, giving you some driving instructions in terms of where to find the book of James, let me give you a little bit of instructions on how to find the book of Job. Uh, it is just before the book of Psalms, just before the book of Psalms. Some people kind of question where it is located because it's not quite like Psalms. It's part of what the Jewish people call the writings, the writings. So Psalms and uh, the book of Proverbs, uh, as well as the book of Job, are all part of the Jewish Old Testament writings. Job chapter 1, we'll be there in a few moments. Trials dark on every hand, and we cannot understand all the ways that God would lead us to that blessed promised land, but he'll guide us with his eye and we'll follow till we die, for we'll understand it better by and by. That great old hymn of Christian faith, of course, testifies to what we're going to be talking about this morning in this message, testing times. Testing times. As we look at the second message in our new series, When Bad Things Happen to God's People, this morning we're looking at testing times. You know, when they first manufactured golf balls, I'm not sure whether you golfers, I'm sure, know this, but the rest of us probably don't. When they first manufactured golf balls, they made the cover smooth. I mean, it just made sense to make them that way. But then they discovered that when a golf ball had gotten roughed up a bit, it actually went a greater distance when hit with a golf club. When they roughed it up. So they started manufacturing golf balls with covers that were dimpled. And so it is with life. It takes some rough spots in your life to make you go the farthest. Those rough spots are the testing times of our lives. And sometimes we suffer because our faith is being tested. Sometimes we suffer because our faith is being tested. That's the theme for this morning's message. Now in seminary, they teach us as students to value Uh, or teach us the value of learning the biblical languages of Hebrew and Greek, and typically Greek more so than Hebrew. But our professors told us to be careful about the way that we use these biblical languages in our sermons, and they gave us an illustration. They said that these biblical languages are like underwear. They're great for support, but you don't want to go around showing them off. Well, this morning, of course, as we look at a wonderful, strong, powerful Greek word, we see once again that the New Testament Greek is a very picturesque language. The word for testing times is pyrasmos, and it is a word from which we get two familiar English words. First, we get the word pyrex, that kind of cooking ware or dishware, glassware, that can be taken to great heats without suffering any damage. And then we get the English word pirates that comes from pyrasmos. Pirates were those marauders who swept down suddenly and unexpectedly on their victims. And trials do the same thing to us. As a matter of fact, James speaks of trials in James chapter 1 just like those pirates. That we fall into the midst of life's testing times. Or sometimes, as we've all experienced, life's testing times fall on us, don't they? They fall on us. Now, the Greek word parasmos is used for all kinds of testing in our lives. As we'll see today, trials differ from temptations in two ways. First of all, they differ in their origin. God permits us to be tried or tested, but he never tempts us. Only Satan tempts us to do what is evil. Secondly, trials differ from temptations in their objective. In their objective. God uses trials to test our faith and build our character. While Satan, of course uses temptation to destroy our faith and to ruin our character. Having clarified that, please understand, as we'll see with the book of Job, that every trial has some aspect of temptation to it if we respond in the wrong way. 
and that every temptation in our lives is a trial or test for us to pass without giving in to Satan. So as we begin this morning, let's look at the story of one of the most terribly tested people in all of the Bible, and that is Job. Job chapter 1. Look there with me as we begin by looking at verses 1 through 7. It said, In the land of us there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you been? Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. So God, here in this passage, as we see, uh, we, we begin to see the first of three truths I want to share with you this morning. And that's this. Satan inflicts suffering in our lives to tempt us to deny our faith and so ruin our character. Satan inflicts suffering in our lives to tempt us to deny our faith and so ruin our character. Look at verses 8 through 11. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job serve God or fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand right now and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, the entire book of Job is about testing, of course. And that verse, ninth verse, speaks of the real crucial question. Will God test Job? to see whether or not Job serves God for no reason. Satan asked the question, will Job serve God for nothing? In other words, God, Job is serving you because you've been so good to him. But stop being good to him and he'll stop serving you. In fact, he'll curse you to your face. And that's the crux of the book of Job. What it's about. It's a test. Will Job continue to love God? Will Job continue to serve God? Will Job continue to fear God? If God is not as good to him as God has been in the past. So God allowed Satan to inflict suffering on Job, but Satan was not allowed to touch Job himself. And then we read what Satan did in verses 13 through 19. Look there with me, if you will. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their oldest brother's home, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, 
Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their older brother's home when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. How much can one mortal man take? How much can one mortal man take? Shakespeare said, Trouble seldom come as single centrymen. They most often come as battalions. Or to put it in more common language that we understand, when it rains, it pours. And we certainly are no strangers to rain around here. When it rains, it pours. But in spite of all this loss and suffering, Job maintains his integrity. He doesn't kick the dog. He doesn't shoot the messengers. He does not curse God. So Satan comes back to God and says he wants another shot at Job. He wants to test him one more time. And so in Job chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, the text says this, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. But he still, And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. Skin for skin, Satan said. You can almost hear him saying that his own demonic way. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give everything he has for his own life. But strike out, stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well, then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Job had to be wondering, why have these things happened to me? These terrible, atrocious things, why have they happened to me? How much can one mortal man take? I read years ago the report to the State Industrial Commission of a workman who was injured while in the act of repairing a chimney. It went like this. Dear sir, when I got to the building, I found that the hurricane had knocked some bricks off of the chimney. So I rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted up a couple of barrels full of bricks. And when I had fixed the chimney, there were a lot of bricks left over. I hoisted the barrel back up again and secured the line at the bottom and then went and filled the barrel uh, with the extra bricks on the roof. Then I went to the bottom and cast off the line. Unfortunately, I discovered that the barrel full of bricks was heavier than I was. And before I knew what was happening, the barrel started down, jerking me off the ground. For some reason, I decided to hang on to the rope. And halfway up, I met the barrel coming down and received a severe blow to my shoulder. I then continued to the top, banging my head against the beam and getting my finger jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground, the bottom burst and all the bricks spilled out. That's when I discovered that I was heavier than an empty barrel. I started down again at high speed, and halfway down, I met the barrel coming up and received severe injuries to my, to my uh, shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on the bricks, getting several painful cuts from the sharp edges. At that point, I must have lost my mind because I let go of the rope. What was left of the barrel then came down, giving me another blow on the head and putting me in the hospital. And th- you think you've had some bad days. A terrible, terrible situation and experience that poor man had, and yet not nearly as bad as Job's. Job surely felt worse than that. James describes Satan's temptations to us in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Look there with me, if you will. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. You'll find it in the same place that uh, Bill told you it was a few minutes ago. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. 
says the following, When tempted, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when by our own evil desire we are dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full born, gives, full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So temptation comes from Satan. There's a story about a woman who is very positive and optimistic and never said anything bad about anybody. One day a friend said to her, I I bet you could even find something good to say about the devil. And she replied, well, he is persistent. Yes, the devil is persistent. I'll tell you something else the devil is. The devil is smarter than anybody you know except God. The devil is smarter than anybody you know except God. He is cunning and conniving and sly. The devil, of course, is the father of lies. That's what he's called in the Bible. He is able to talk people into doing things that they never thought they would ever do. Remember what he said to Eve in the Garden of Eden? He said, I know God told you that you would die if you ate this apple, but I promise you, you won't die. You'll be just like God. And remember what Satan's ultimate goal is. Jesus referred to Satan as a thief in John chapter 10, verse 10, and said, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The wages of sin never change. They're always death and destruction. True story about a a man who was a foreman on a construction job who was infamous for his profanity and ungodly attitude among the people with whom he worked. A Christian young man who worked on his crew was grieved to hear the filthy language coming out of his foreman's mouth. And one day, that young Christian got off the courage to speak to this foreman about his godless ways. And the foreman told him this. He said, I was once the pastor of a large church in this city. Some trouble arose in the church that was so bad there seemed to be no solution to it. It was a great trial to me. I was deeply distraught and frustrated and so angry that one Sunday morning I walked to the pulpit, picked up my Bible, literally began to tear it into shreds and then to throw it at members of the congregation. I walked out of that church that day and I vowed that I would never walk into another church for the rest of my life. And that's why I'm such an ungodly man today. A tragic story. It's a true story. That former pastor allowed temptation to ultimately destroy him spiritually. There's an old adage that says, Sin will take you farther than you want to stray, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin does. Secondly, in in this message on testing times, I want you to see that God permits suffering in our lives to try our faith and so build our character. God permits suffering in our lives to try our faith and so build our character. Job chapter 1 verses 20 through 22 describes Job's reaction to the trial of the loss of his family and his fortune. It says, At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Unbelievable response. Tremendous response to a very difficult situation in his life. I would love to say that I've responded to all my trials the way that Job responded to his. And you would love to say that you've responded to all your trials in life the way that Job 
responded to his. But let's not be liars. Amen? Let's not be liars. We have responded in more difficult ways. We've responded with frustration at times, with anger at times. Job, of course, is our role model of how we ought to respond. Then after round two, when Satan inflicted Job with painful boils, Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, Job's wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. But he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Thus far, Job gets an A++++ on the test of life he has faced. But lest you believe that Job was divine and not human, you need to know that there are 37 chapters between Job's angelic acceptance of his grave misfortunes and God's life-changing interview with him near the end of the book. In those chapters, Job's response to his tremendous trials is not always patient, much less joyful. He has some hard talks with his friends about how God has treated him. In other words, we can relate to Job in his frustration and grief. After all, God knew that he was only human. And God knows that we are only human. I once read about a couple of Christian couples who went to a festival out into the country and they went to that festival and there, as a part of that, uh, that festival, there was a hot air balloon and people could pay for rides and the two husbands decided they wanted to take their first ride in a hot air balloon so they both paid for that fare and, and got into the balloon together and, and they went up and they thought they were going to have the time of their lives. But something went terribly wrong. And the balloon fell out of the sky. And both husbands were killed. And like Job, when the two Christian wives arrived at the scene of the accident, instead of grief and tears, they were rejoicing that their husbands were now in heaven. It was a strong witness to the unbelievers there, true. But they had not dealt with the depth of their grief yet. And neither had Job. The half-brother of Jesus, the apostle James, encourages us in the midst of our trials to look at them from God's perspective. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into life's multicolored testing times. The word for various is the word that the uh, Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, used for Joseph's coat of many colors. The multicolored testing times of life. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And that's really a rather weak translation of the word perseverance. It is the Greek word that we would better translate as triumphant endurance. The trial of your faith, the testing of your faith produces triumphant endurance. But let this endurance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking a single Christian character quality. Several verses later, James says in James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials, having passed the test. That person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. What we need to understand about the trials that come into our lives is that we cannot always understand them. And God doesn't expect us to. He is the only one who is omniscient, right? All-knowing. He is the only one who knows everything. Knows what's going to happen before it happens. Knows why it's going to happen. How it's going to happen. To whom it's going to happen. He knows all things. We don't. We're not supposed to understand everything. Then what are we supposed to do? Well, according to that verse, we're supposed to persevere. We're supposed to persevere. 
We're supposed to work our way through the difficulties of life. God's asking us to persevere. One of the, during one of the episodes of the sitcom All in the Family, Archie's wife, Edith Munker, lost a dear friend through a true, cruel and tragic murder. For the next several days, Edith questioned God's existence and his goodness. Sensing his mother-in-law was about to give up her faith altogether, her son-in-law, Michael Stivick, the agnostic whom Archie called the meathead, used a profound illustration. He asked Edith if there had ever been any subjects in school she could not understand. And she replied, math. And everybody in the studio audience all laughed because Edith wasn't real smart when it came to math and things like that. So everybody laughed. And Michael responded, you didn't understand math, but you didn't quit school because of that, did you? We're not going to understand everything that happens in our lives. Edith got the point. We should not quit our faith in God just because we don't understand all the suffering that God may permit in our world. His purposes are often beyond our understanding. But if we can't understand all the ways of God, then how should we respond ultimately to the trials of our lives? And the question, that question brings me to our third and final point this morning. Trusting God is the passing grade in the test of suffering. Trusting God is the passing grade in the test of suffering. You were probably not going to understand it right now. Why something has happened to you or happened to someone you love. So you have to trust God in the midst of it. And in the midst of Job's suffering, he utters the greatest confession of faith in all of the Old Testament. It is comparable to Peter's great confession in the New Testament where he tells Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the greatest confession of faith in all the Old Testament. In Job chapter 13, verse 15, Job declares, Though God slays me, yet will I trust Him. Though God slays me, yet will I trust Him. Did you hear what he said? He said, even if God kills me, I will still trust Him. Do we have a faith like that? Probably not yet, but our trial may not have come. In the book of Job, despite all of his suffering and sorrow, Job has these incredible moments of insightfulness. It's like the light comes on for a moment in the midst of his sorrow, and Job trusts God and believes that God knows what he's doing, and so he takes comfort and rest. Another such moment comes in Job chapter 23, verse 10, when Job declares, But God knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. You have to have God's perspective on life to say things like that and mean them. St. Teresa of Avila had God's perspective on life. She said, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Thanks to Greg Burrell for finding that quote for me. No more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Dr. C. Everett Koop, former Surgeon General of the United States, sent his son David to the prestigious Ivy League school at Dartmouth from which Koop himself had graduated. By his junior year, David had developed the habit of calling his parents every Sunday night precisely at 9 p.m. One night in 1968, David did not call at 9 o'clock. He did not call at 9.30. His mother Elizabeth began to worry. Finally, at 10 p.m., the dean of students at Dartmouth called. Dr. Coop asked, do you have bad news for us? And the dean said, yes, I'm sorry. I have the worst news of all. David is dead. 
He was rock climbing with a friend of his when the spike that he had hammered into the rock came loose and he lost his footing and fell. And even though his friend's spike held, David fell against the side of the mountain, suffered internal bleeding and hemorrhage to death. The only comfort the Coops could find was in the fact that their 20-year-old son, David, was a Christian. Ten days later, the Coops received David's Bible. They noticed that he had placed his marker in it to keep up with his daily Bible reading. The marker was at the book of Jude, and David had underlined the next-to-last verse of the book that says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Shortly thereafter, in a profound confession of faith, a confession of trust in God, the coop said, David fell off a rock, but he did not fall off the rock. David fell off a rock, but he did not fall off the rock. Friend, do your feet stand on the rock from which you can never truly fall? They can. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which can help you triumphantly endure the testing times of life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the time that you've given us today. We know, Lord, that trials are going to come our way. Typically, when we least expect them, it's almost impossible to prepare for them. They hit us where we didn't think they were going to hit us. They tempt us to become frustrated and angry at everyone, including you, Lord. Please forgive us for that and help us to respond the way Job responded, the way the Coops responded, in a profound trust that somehow in the midst of the worst thing that's ever happened to us, you will bring good out of it and we'll get through it somehow. Father, we pray for our church family right now. Some of our folks are going through deep and very difficult trials. We pray that you would give them strength. That you'd let them know, Lord, that there's an end to the tunnel. And there's the light of God on the other side. Help them to know, Lord, that you'll walk with them every step of the way. You've not forsaken them, even though bad things have happened. And that you'll continue to be with them. Father, we pray now that if there's anyone here who does not have that personal relationship with you, they'll come to know you today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.